This is Words Matter with Norm Ornstein. There is no vaccine around. And Dr. Kavita Patel. But I bet you, you didn't know that. Most clinicians do not know that. And that's a problem. Hello and welcome to Words Matter from the DSR Network. Each week, Norm Ornstein and I will talk about the issues facing our country as we head into the midterms and what our leaders are saying and doing about them. We hope you like the show and we'd love to hear your feedback as we continue to shape it moving forward. If you have any comments, feel free to send us an email at podcasts at thedsrnetwork.com. Now on with the show. Well, welcome listeners to this very eventful week. We've had a lot going on in terms of not just January 6, updates on reproductive justice and a number of other issues, but something that has been a frequent topic between not just Norm, myself, and and others, but has also prevailed across the world, COVID and now monkeypox. So we're going to take on a double set of viruses today and talk about kind of our country and where we are in terms of COVID-19 and, and also touch on monkeypox and hopefully do this in a way where we both learn something, you learn something, and we can actually, again, sticking to our theme with Words Matter, Norm, hopefully we can talk about what impact this might have on the midterms or what our leaders are saying or not saying about it. So so here's Anthony Fauci talking with MSNBC anchor Chris Jansing about the latest variant of COVID-19. Well, it's something we absolutely need to take seriously. It has a transmission advantage over the prior variants that were dominant. The dominant variant was first BA1, then BA2, then BA2.1, 2.1, and on and on. And then you get to BA4, 5, particularly BA5, which clearly has a transmission advantage, which is one of the reasons why we're seeing throughout several regions of the country, including in particularly the New York area, you're starting to see cases go up. So it needs to be taken seriously. Everybody wants to put this pandemic behind us and feel and hope that it doesn't exist. It does. However, the good news is that we have the capability and the tools to address it. Well, Norm, it is another day, but we're still talking about COVID. And it's just another reminder, I think, in that exchange between Chris and Dr. Fauci, that as much as all of us are just exhausted from talking about COVID, COVID is not done with us. I think the latest is really this concerning variant, BA5, to be specific, which is the majority of cases in the country, at least 54% and climbing of cases in the United States are from BA5. And this is on the heels of the United Kingdom, much of the EU, parts of South Asia, as well as South Africa, having gone through or in the midst of a surge with their own BA4-5 epidemics in the country. So this is something that clearly, no matter what we want to do, the White House is really hoping that uh, they'll listen. We will listen this time. I think Dr. Fauci is basically trying to kind of make the point that uh, this is much more infectious. So a couple of facts about BA5. It is part of the Omicron family. But interestingly enough, Norm, it's got genetic mutations that are so distinct and different from the original Omicron that it looks just an incredibly different virus, which just speaks to the degree of mutation in a small amount of time, which is concerning. And it has the ability to escape our existing immunity, whether that immunity is from infections or from vaccines. So Norm, talk about kind of your thoughts about how this is impacting or not impacting the conversation that Americans are having around the dinner table 
what this mat, you know, how this could matter for midterms and for our leaders as we go into August recess, heavy reconciliation, budget negotiations. And frankly, a reminder, we actually have no federal funding for this slew of next generation vaccines that we're all eagerly awaiting, which will come likely on board October, November of this year. Yeah, there's so much to unpack here, Kavita. Uh, I saw this uh, tweet yesterday that I shared with you from Andy Slavitt about what they're calling Centaurus and how, as you said, we're going to get many, many variants emerging, some of which will be distinct and different from the others. We're going to be playing a game that's a little bit like whack-a-mole, but it's not clear that we're going to have the hammers to uh, whack those moles. And the lack of funding and the fact that Republicans in Congress don't want to provide funding is one of the more worrisome elements here. I actually think we uh, should probably have another Operation Warp Speed to try and come up with some kind of universal vaccine, if that's at all possible. But there are a few things that we know here. One is uh, most Americans are not having conversations about this around the dining room table. The general attitude is it's over. And any of us who have traveled, you go into an airport now, almost nobody's masked. I know in red states, people have said nobody's been wearing masks, but I traveled recently, you know, D.C. to New York. Couldn't get more blue than that. And I was one of 10 people wearing a mask on the plane. <laughs> I think people have decided that it's over. And if we get another surge that is deadly, deadlier than this one, and once again, we have emergency rooms overcrowded, and we can't ignore the other reality here, which is that we have a huge crisis in healthcare personnel. So many of the nurses and doctors who were on the front lines as COVID first emerged have left the professions. They were overworked, underpaid, and abused. And if we get another really bad surge, something that is equivalent to what we had with the first round of COVID, it's going to be even worse. But I don't see any possibility that we will go back to a very tough regime, closing schools, social distancing, or any of the rest of it. And how we get through that, I, I really don't know. Whether at the same time, if we see, as we know, at, at minimum is going to happen, which is we're going to have an annual COVID shot or some sort of variant shot, just as we have an annual flu shot, how many of the resistors from the first time around will continue to resist and making the problem that much worse. This is something that is not on the radar screens for most people. If you watch the news on any of the channels, it hardly comes up. Every once in a while, you'll see something. And if and when we really get hit hard by this, by one of the variants coming along, one that's more deadly, I don't know how we're going to cope with it. And I don't see a, 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 any capacity for a national rally around dealing with the problem. The, the last thing I'd say on this part of it is we had a million people or more who die, more than we've seen in our wars. And it's like it shrugged off. And the fact that you continue to have this resistance and Kevin McCarthy saying, that if the Republicans recapture the majority in the House, they're going to go after Anthony Fauci. You still have conservative media who treat him as one of the great villains of our time. 
the ability to deal with public health when you're vilified and face death threats, that this has become tribalized in a particularly pernicious way is very, very worrisome. Just so that listeners aren't tantalized by that Centaurus reference, the reference to Centaurus that Andy Slavitt tweeted about and what's kind of emerged is a reference to, as you mentioned, Norm, not just the BA5 variant, which is dominant and the most, the one that Dr. Fauci is referring to that's predominant in the United States, but Centaurus referring to two additional variants that have now been picked up in the United States, which we knew, but initially picked up in other countries, such as India, clearly have some like concerns that scientists have not been able to kind of reach any sort of preliminary findings, but point to some potential for these newer variants, BA275, and then another one that's a relative of BA5 that could be even more infectious. So every basically, every time this virus mutates, it does it in a smart way. It does exactly what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to stay alive. And to stay alive, it needs to infect hosts. And that's exactly what it's found its way to doing. Interestingly enough, Norm, New York City is one of the few jurisdictions that are tracking kind of reinfections. They're doing Despite the CDC having shifted the way they do surveillance, and just another kind of clue for our listeners, if you look at the CDC map, they actually contain two maps around the levels of COVID-19. The first map is the one that actually looks more reassuring, kind of more green, because we haven't seen the levels of hospitalization surge yet with BA5. The second map, which was the older version of what we use to track COVID-19, but it's the one that individuals should use looks at cases because it just shows the numbers of cases. And it's pretty much red all over the country, showing that we have high numbers of cases across the country, which is why the CDC went back and you have to scroll everywhere to find this language to recommending that people use masks in indoor public spaces. I would go a step further and say that this is like, if you are someone who does not want to get infected or reinfected, now is the time to just be a little bit more scrutinous about the company you're keeping or where you are in the ventilation, because ventilation and masking actually work on top of of getting vaccinated to prevent hospitalizations and then the treatments. But it's a good segue into our other virus that's popping up because I want to talk about New York City, where we are seeing 25% reinfections with COVID-19. But we are also seeing New York City as many times along with Washington, D.C., San Francisco and Los Angeles as you know, epicenters for outbreaks of monkeypox. Monkeypox, a distinctly different virus from smallpox, but in the same kind of cousins of families related, also in kind of a related family to chickenpox. So technically the monkeypox virus is an orthopox virus and it's been around, unlike COVID. It is not new. It has been around and it's something that more and more people, including myself, are coming to realize that it is not only kind of, it exists in the community and there's community spread. It is something that we should have our radars up about. And there are people who are at higher risk, but if we kind of sit on assumptions, then we will not be prepared if we indeed see mutations in this virus. Rising cases of monkeypox actually are testing our battle strength and resilience and lessons learned from COVID-19 or lessons not learned. And so listen in this clip from NBC where you hear Dr. Ashwin Vasan, the New York City Health Commissioner, along with words from Dr. Ashish Jha, who's obviously the White House COVID-19 coordinator, both talking about the kind of duality of realities in monkeypox in the United States. After weeks of long lines, tonight New York City is out of monkeypox vaccine appointments again as cases double here every six days. 
Local officials sending a letter to the Biden administration, urgently asking for more doses. It's because of New York City that we're even having this conversation about a national vaccination strategy. The White House says the FDA is inspecting more shots from a manufacturer in Denmark. Do we wish we had more doses out there right now? Of course. Um, but this, but we had a stockpile, and what we need is we need more, and we're getting more. New York City accounts for about a fifth of the now more than 800 reported cases to the CDC this year across 39 states. While anyone can get monkeypox, most of the infections so far have been in the LGBTQ community. So it's very clear that the White House is doing a very delicate balance here. On one hand, COVID-19, take it very seriously. On the other hand, monkeypox, take it very seriously, but don't get scared because there's actually not that much that we can do and we're going to try to help people who need it. But at the end of the day, we only have so much we can do. So, so sorry. And, and New York City is the recipient of that message where New York City, when they cases were rising and prompted an, an effort to actually reach out to the public and try to bring people in to get proactively vaccinated if they had been in high risk situations, they ran out of vaccine within minutes. And so this is just another example for monkeypox specifically, where, you know, we've had now probably literally the masterclass on what not to do in pandemics from the Trump administration. And one of the promises of the Biden administration was that it was not the Trump administration. And I, by the way, I fully endorse and support that our country is healthier and better because of the Biden administration's approach to COVID-19. But I, even I will tell you that there has been just yet again another misstep in the White House not being incredibly clear, even if that clarity means we are not 100% sure what's happening and this is an evolving situation. So here is what we are going to do and here is the transparency with which we are going to do it. But that has not happened. And I'll cite two specific reasons. For monkeypox, there had been these really initial reports about links to large kind of events in which men were having sex with men. Um, and this was propagated by some like sexual kind of related social media tags and apps that kind of encouraged, whether it was in Europe or even in the United States, for large groups to, to come together. So there was this initial perception that the highest risk populations were men who had sex with men. In fact, on many websites, that will still, you will still see that language as high risk. Then we started to see cases of children in the United Kingdom, as well as pleas from researchers in Africa who have been used to, in countries where it's in monkeypox is endemic, and it is in, in a majority of heterosexual populations, pleas from researchers that said, please do not stigmatize this. I myself had been kind of mistakenly using what I think was probably over stigmatizing or discriminatory language that overly emphasized men having sex with men. When what we should be doing is talking about the sets of higher risk behaviors for which people might want to come and present for monkeypox. People who have had frequent sexual contacts is one of those high risk behaviors. People who have traveled to some of the areas, including in, in the United States, where there have been higher numbers of cases of monkeypox. And then the third, people who have been in prolonged contact with someone who has been ill and exhibiting symptoms that are consistent with monkeypox, but not necessarily a diagnosis. And it's, it's very clear to me that I had to come to this conclusion, both as a doctor and a public health person, on my own. This was not something that the White House facilitated. And it is, is it their job to facilitate it? I would argue yes, because we have global spread of a disease that even though it hasn't been declared a pandemic, 
some colleagues and I wrote an op-ed in the Post where we said it is a pandemic. By definition, the global spread, the unusual nature, the inability to, to understand all of the contacts and why transmission is happening the way it is, all kind of underscore definition. And we are once again behind the curve. So Norm, I want to, we just talked about COVID. We just talked about how nobody at the dining room table is talking about COVID. I'm pretty confident nobody at the dining room table is talking about monkeypox. But try, try to diagnose for me kind of what you see as the state of our response from the federal government, going back to Biden was supposed to be better. Are we putting too many expectations on an administration that's just trying to like not let its back break from like the weight of the world? Or, or are there some legitimate reasons to say, hey, wait a minute, we should be concerned here and someone needs to learn some lessons? It's the latter, Kavita. I find this very disturbing. And now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think along with the categories that you mentioned, it's if you end up being touched in a place where you have an open wound or even any kind of a pox or a problem, you can get this. And there is a vaccine, as you said. That vaccine is nowhere to be found. Nowhere. In D.C., we're actually using the smallpox vaccine as a substitute, which is an inferior product. And we haven't heard from the federal government when we'll get more um, of the monkeypox vaccine. I have a son living out in L.A., and he just uh, joined a touch football league for this coming season. And I wrote him yesterday and I said, given what we know now about monkeypox, you got to get the vaccine. He said, look, I'm on top of it. My doctor's on top of it. There is no vaccine around. Now, how can you not fault the administration? for this failure. And I think it starts at the CDC. I have not found that either the public statements or the policies pursued by the CDC are adequate to this task. And the the messaging as well, which is an important part of this that's coming from the administration, going back to the their initial responses to COVID, you put Jeff Zients in charge, you have a big task force, they handled the segue from the Trump administration to the Biden administration extraordinarily well. But that, and it gets us back to some of the political elements of this, the failure to have something even equivalent to what Trump did, which was a regular briefing started by the president that had your top officials saying, here's what we're doing, here's what to watch for, People did not even understand the good things that were happening. It's something that I think is a chronic problem for Democrats. The policies speak for themselves and they never do. And I think one of the prime reasons that we had an election in Virginia where Glenn Youngkin, who has turned out to be a radical racist Trumpist, was able to win. It wasn't just critical race theory in the schools. It was the dissatisfaction that so many families had, this sense that Democrats had no understanding or empathy for the struggles that people were going through when the schools were closed. Instead, it was, hey, it's public health, close the schools. And that that backlash continues, and it's resulted in some very bad things. And I don't see this getting better. I see it getting worse, and they really need to do a reckoning here. You know, I understand you've got a problem that you don't have funding and you have enormous resistance to the funding that we ought to have. 
we ought to be uh, having labs 24-7 producing a monkeypox vaccine. We ought to, going back to our previous segment, have a massive effort to try and come up with new vaccines to deal with these variants. And that we're not only not doing it, but we're not getting signals, public signals from the administration. This is a time heading into November where at minimum, you want to blame the people blocking the ability to deal with these things and put them on the hot seat. And it's not happening. That's what, it's funny you say that when you were talking about the president and daily briefings, I was actually kind of thinking, all right, Norm, you're right. So just to be kind of tactical, what would I have done differently if I were inside the White House and, and trying to do this? I think you're right. This would be part of the president's daily briefing. At least you would make sure that he understood. And that might be happening. We just don't know. And then number two, I think, and I do think Ashish Jha is trying to do this. I think he's trying to be the kind of quote chief communicator, but it's also very like, well, just to say like, listen, we hear you. We wish we had more vaccine. I mean, it's not enough to put out, you know, sad press releases that say, well, we're finally getting Quest on board now and we're going to have another lab that can test, you know, so, so listen, Norm, by the end of July, we'll be able to test, you know, 60,000 people per week. Guess what? We can't give them enough vaccine, though. And that's the to your point about your son. So I think as a White House person, I would quickly everyone is going to ask, you know, what have we been doing to mobilize, to your point, kind of the equivalent of the Operation Warp Speed, the DARPA kind of, you know, the DPA and how are we actually utilizing if it's Defense Production Act, because we need to tell Genios, the one manufacturer, or, sorry, Bavarian, the one manufacturer of Genios, the vaccine, we're going to help take this over and we're going to start to help you scale it, then that's what we need to do. I don't even think they're doing the basics, which is explaining to doctors like me, here are the people you should be screening, here are the people you do not need to screen. And they put out these clinician guidances with these rashes. That I, and if, uh, if you want to get like a joke out of any doctor who is not a dermatologist, you just have to say, like, show them a picture of a rash and try to get them to guess what it is. It is so it is so difficult, and no, none of us are going to want to make the call and scare someone and say we think you might have monkeypox. And so we will likely always underdiagnose. And now, because of this stigma that's been out there, it is very hard, I think, for people to self present. Which is why open vaccine clinics that are full don't really help anybody. But then on top of it, I think Norm. So, so the other thing I would do is just think very quickly about what is it that we're, our goal is. Our goal is to contain this. So we should be aggressively, I mean, deploy like the medical reserve so that we can contact trace and literally study the heck out of all cases that come through. Because what you're seeing right now is just an incredibly frustrated public health public, your son, for example, people who feel like they might be at risk, also frustrated. And that is just kind of continuing to chip away at not only the lack of faith in science, and, but also the Biden administration. And then finally, what's interesting to me that I have not seen discussed, so you know, the vaccine is currently available only for 18 and above. It's fully licensed. This isn't an emergency product. It's been around. It's fully licensed for above 18 and above. And for under 18, you actually have to go to the FDA case by case and ask for an, it, like a, literally a kind of an, it's called an individual exception, an IND. And that is not something humans really know how to do, nor are people aware. But it begs the question, what is our obligation to our children and to populations that could be at high risk? And, and to your point, like if you have little cuts, you're right. And, and also, by the way, the people that are predicted to be the most severe cases, luckily, it, knock on wood, we haven't had those severe cases in the United States yet, but it's a matter of time, are actually pregnant women and children. So think about the two most vulnerable populations where we would want to be doing kind of better outreach. 
but I bet you, you didn't know that. Most clinicians do not know that. And that's a problem. And I, and I think what it comes down to, since our podcast is called Words Matter, it's just that. Words matter. We have still not been able to accept or at least come to grips with our inability to communicate to the public about it's as if we don't think the public can understand nuance or evolving situations. And I understand why people say that, but the same exact conversation that has happened around COVID confusion, do I need a booster? Do I not need a booster? When should I get a booster? When should I never get a booster? All of that same confusion is just getting reproduced in a different scale with monkeypox. And the other thing right around the corner that the CDC put out data and didn't get a lot of press attention because there's a lot going on these days are the rise of superbugs, super infections, things that are resistant to almost every antibiotic we have in the entire world norm. And there was a 15% rise in these infections, 80% of which were associated with COVID hospitalizations. And it's because we just did not have a health system that was prepared. We did not have enough protective equipment. And we also now face our next problem, which is norm. If you get a cut on your skin and a scrape and it gets infected, there is now a higher chance that you could be infected with a superbug, one of these bugs, that any antibiotic we have, including the most sophisticated ones, just do not work. And that is actually what I had always worried after I worked in the White House and thought we were H1N1 and, and, H1 and Ebola were behind us. I always thought that was going to be our next pandemic, that we would have the rise of a superbug that was able to infect you know, healthy people in communities and literally create just literally create devastation, death, and destruction with these infections. And I still think that we're not that far away from it. And what just happened this past year, BARDA, which had been kind of the leader in looking into research to develop new new antibiotics, their funding basically dwindled down and dried up. So here we are set up again, Norm, for our next pandemic that will inevitably hit us with no preparation, no playbook. And very little awareness by the public, by the way. And so just to give listeners another treat, I think this is uh, hopefully, again, like why words matter. But my closing comment is a, a, a words of advice for Javier Becerra, the uh, secretary of HHS, which is there ought to be at minimum a weekly update that brings in all of the media run by HHS and Becerra call it a health update. Talk about what's happening with COVID, where it's surging, what the problems are, what we're doing about it. Talk about monkeypox and why it's a serious problem. And and one would hope invoke the Defense Production Act and get the vaccine out there. Talk about these superbugs a little bit. You want the public to know not only public health information, you want families, for example, to know that they really need to be careful when their kids are at school, if they're out playing at recess and they get cuts. But you also want to let everybody know that our government is on top of it. And that's just not happening. And that, I think, is a huge problem, not just uh, politically, but in terms of uh, public health. Yeah, and morale. No, that's a, I, I love that idea. And it's funny. Norm, it seems like such a no-brainer, but yet that is such a novel, such a novel and necessary concept. So hopefully, 
We know that we've got some folks who are in Becerra's inner circle who have, who are listeners. So hopefully they will listen to this and, and heed the advice because it's a great piece of advice. So on that note, thank you so much for joining us. It would be incredibly helpful as we're relaunching this show if you could rate, review, and subscribe to this feed on your favorite podcast player. We also hope you share this episode with your friends on social media. If you like this episode and want even more of our conversation, become a member of the DSR Network and get a bonus segment where we talk about the continued fallout of the Dobbs decision and the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Words Matter is a production of the DSR Network. The executive producer of the DSR Network is Chris Cotnor, and the producer of Words Matter is the excellent Grant Haver. The next episode of Words Matter will be in your podcast feeds on July 22nd. See you then.